Hi, welcome to Haven. This is a podcast that's a safe space for curiosity and conversation. I'm your host, Haven, and today I'm curious about the things that women don't understand. that women don't understand. I know that is a spicy title coming from a woman, but this is a little bit of a follow-up to a previous episode I did with one of my girlfriends where we called it things that men don't understand, where we wanted to bring them into some more of our experiences that just are kind of universal, where it's unwanted comments or not feeling safe walking at night or things that like other women would just nod and echo and say, yep, totally, we get it, but maybe men aren't privy to. But there's another side to that coin. Like there are some things that men experience or were raised and conditioned to think about that we weren't. And I would really like to hear about this and know from a male that's someone I look up to and trust and really... um, take what they have to say um, with weight. And so for this, I've brought on a very brave male who agreed to speak on behalf of men everywhere. So please welcome Joe. Oh, it is so cool to be here with Haven. I know, no pressure though. No pressure. And I will do my best to speak on behalf Mm -hmm. of all males. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I say anything males disagree with, uh, I can't help you. I'm sorry. This is awesome though. It's such an honor to be here. I'm glad you're here. I'm really glad. And I was even thinking about this. I was like, this is a hard one for me to facilitate because I don't know what I don't know. Mm. Like I kind of crafted out some thoughts of, you know, what even inspired the topic too of, I was thinking, okay, well, where is an instance I saw that like maybe growing up? Sure. So I thought of my brother. I have a brother who's a year older and in high school, he's a musician and he was like, wanting to express himself. And it was before skinny jeans were a thing. I don't know if you remember the era. I wasn't brave enough to go, but I remember the era. Of course, of (laughs) course. Well, he was like, he was pretty cutting edge style. It was before the era. It was girls had skinny jeans, but guys didn't. Sure. So he's like, oh, I'll just go buy girl pants and wear them. And he got teased relentlessly Mm, for like trying that. And I was like, that's interesting. Like, I don't think I've ever gotten teased for you know, either trying baggy or wearing like a guy's jacket, but like the inverse there was interesting. So I was like, that's Mm. the first thing that I thought of. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, like I, I didn't myself, you know, (laughs) I didn't have the courage to wear skinny jeans, but I remember having friends that would get ridiculed, like, you know, for skinny jeans for, there was emo style, right. There was, you know, even I was an athlete growing up. So I, I was in the sports world and, and it would be the smallest little things. If your shorts weren't like too baggy, you got made fun of. If you wore cut off sleeves, you got made fun of. Like wow. guys were relentless on like just cutting each other down. Mm-hmm. And I think like culturally you think, you know, I don't know, just when I think of cattiness or you think, oh, it's always girls bickering with each other or, mm-hmm. or being jealous or cutting each other down and guys kind of get a pass. They're like, oh, guys don't really care. It's not true. Mm. guys care way more than we admit and I grew up with that like I remember and probably at my worst making fun of friends for the dumbest of things Mm -hmm. but also I remember getting made fun of for things that just felt so natural to you or or even interesting to you but my experience growing up as as a as a man as a male is we have a really hard time um, understanding differences hmm. like people who are different than us hmm. you know things that are, are foreign to us uh, and especially in like a, a sports world which is kind of I grew up in uh, so many guys are just get made fun of simply because they did something that was outside of the norm hmm. and and I yeah it's for me it's been one of the things actually uh, I just always had a hard time with and I didn't resonate with and I gravitated towards people that were different than me, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think because I just saw how it would affect guys in a really negative light. And so I just think that's interesting that I think historically we think mm-hmm. it's girls are the ones that get super jealous and cut each other down. But guys are just as ruthless. <laughs> I never thought about it that way, but yeah. it's true. It's like mm-hmm. they really do like they would razz on each other for just like the silliest of things. Mm-hmm. And I wonder 
how much of that is like cultural where it's like, oh, everyone's making fun. Like that's the way you connect or how sure. much of it is just like their own insecurities coming out or like, where is that based from? Oh, 100% insecurities. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Without question, you know, mm -hmm. like, and I think that's a human like experience. Mm -hmm. I love that you had an episode talking about, you know, what men don't understand and coming from that perspective. I love that, you know, you invited me to come on here and talk about, you know, what women don't understand, a different perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I think is really interesting is that there's way more things we have common mm -hmm. in this conversation than we realize, right? It just maybe um, shows itself in a different light. But men, man, I, if we can keep it real, fellas, if we can have an honest conversation, we are some really insecure people sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a root of a lot. That's a root of... Anytime there's, when you're talking about bullying, you're talking about razzing, you're talking about just cutting people down, um, I think it's hugely rooted in insecurities. When I look at my own life and moments when I, you know, wasn't my best and mm -hmm. I, whatever, cut people down or I said things I wish I didn't, mm -hmm. it was never, ever, ever about the other person. Mm -hmm. It's always about myself and just being uncomfortable in who I was or jealous that somebody else was. Mm -hmm being seen or had more value or, you know, high school popularity. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just like, it was always about being liked mm -hmm. and valued and seen. Mm -hmm. And when you don't feel like you're getting that space, then it's better to cut somebody else down mm -hmm. to your level than to actually figure out a way to elevate them and be highlighted. That's so interesting. And like, what did it look like in the media for you? Like what, was the media kind of presenting to you of like, oh, this is manhood? Like, what is the thing that's like, oh, this is what we're supposed to be doing? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think some of it was and still is. There's like a very machismo, right? Mm -hmm. It's uh, to be a man is to be powerful, mm -hmm. is to be like, it's, there's like a constant like elevation, but not in that you elevate the culture or you elevate the people around you, but just that you have to become like a bigger than life kind of figure. Mm. And, and I think it's just a misconception or even a, it's a degree off. Cause I think the true value of what it means to be a man is not that you'll, that you become bigger, but that you actually create a bigger world for others. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's a common thing that we see in culture, right? That, um, that a man is really, it's about your ability to, um, even suppress the people around you that, that you become more as other people become less, mm -hmm. you know? And, and yeah, it was like a, it's a man eat man world. It's a cutthroat world. Like do whatever it gets to the, whatever you got to do to get to the top. Mm -hmm. And I think even culturally what that creates is, um, is a ethic where you're not actually for one another. You're not actually like championing one another. You're just trying to find a way to get yours so that you're finally seen. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's a really destructive culture and again, the irony is I don't think that's at its, our core what makes a man like uh, an aspiring, like aspirational. Mm -hmm. I think what makes a man truly aspirational is the way that they serve the world around them, mm -hmm. the way that they are finding people to champion their dreams, you know? And the older I've gotten, the more hopefully wise and mature, uh, I'm less interested in my pursuit and I'm more interested in my impact. Hmm. You know? I love that of like kind of changing at the end of like, what does it really mean? You know, based mm. on what you've seen. Cause I had an interesting conversation with a guy friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about um, Lewis Hamilton. Is, it, is that his uh -huh. name? Love Lewis Hamilton, yeah. So he ends it with like, what's your definition of greatness? Yeah. And so I was talking with him about it and, and I was like, what's your, like, what would be your definition of greatness? Wait, Lewis Howes or Lewis Hamilton? I don't know the difference. Uh, Lewis Hamilton's an F1 driver. No, I'm talking about Lewis Howes. Lewis Howes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I mean, no. that's, I was about to absolutely fanboy no. over They're here. Like, so you hung cool. out with Lewis Hamilton? That's no, amazing. I didn't hang out with either. I hung out with someone and we were talking about one of them. Oh, okay, still incredible. Thank yeah. you. No. But Lewis Howes, yes. Yeah. But Lewis is a friend of mine. I do. Which one? Lewis Howes oh, okay. is a friend. Yes. Okay. Both are cool. Both are Both cool. Are cool. Yeah. Both are cool. But he was talking about greatness. Yes. Yes. Um, and I asked him, I was like, okay, well then what's, what's your definition? Cause we had both heard him, you know, ask that question. Mm. And he actually was like really internally struggling. He was like, well, I'm really torn. He goes, because I always thought greatness was like Kobe Bryant. Mm. 
mm. who was like obviously the greatest, but he was like a total asshole. Like, yeah. uh, like as far as like that was his persona for a long, long time. He was like in hi- high school. He said I was behaving that way. He said and I felt awful. Mm. He was like I like bullied someone, like went too hard on them, and made them upset. He goes and I went home and cried. Mm. He was like because I thought oh to be great you have to be that kind of machismo guy. He's like but. He's like, later on, I realized I don't want to be that. Mm. Um, and so he had this internal struggle. I was like, is there a chance that there's like a different definition outside of that? And he was like, maybe. And I was like, well, is someone, you know, I've worked with before. And I was like, I just think you're going to self-sabotage yourself and never achieve greatness mm. because you think it means that you have to do that. Yeah. And I think until you figure out a new definition of it, you're just going to withhold yourself from greatness mm. because you've only seen it from that one path. For sure. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I don't know what a path for greatness or even a definition is yeah. outside of that. And he was like, and I've never even thought about it before. He's like, but I totally do think I'm just being like, well, if that's what that is, it's not worth it to me because mm. I don't want to yeah. be that. But yeah. he doesn't even know what it looks like outside of it. For sure. Yeah, that's so true. And, and I, I resonate so much with that because growing up right and and it has to become a point where you just mature and and you life experience you figure things out but but that is the narrative for guys yeah from overwhelmingly is you have to figure out how to be mean you have to figure out how to manipulate because that's the only way that you're going to get to where you need to go and that's what your power looks like your greatness and and i remember nobody told me that you know you don't have to like put people down to like elevate. Mm. Nobody said that out loud, but environmentally you see it and you experience it. But something inside of me was like, that just seems like it's gotta be more. Mm -hmm. It's gotta be another pathway. Right. And I remember making choices as a teenager that afterwards I just felt so embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And again, not even just as a man, I felt embarrassed as a human Mm -hmm. of like, this is, like the shrapnel of your life. This is what you want to be known for. And I remember a moment very you know, you have those markers in your moment. I had a marker in my moment when I made one of the most destructive, dumb choices ever in my life. And it really negatively affected a girl in my life. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, having a spiritual moment and a conversation with God going, you have a choice of who you want to become. Is this what you want your legacy to be? the marker of your life to be. And I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, and I had a great dad, you know, so I can't even blame. Him. I didn't have a dad in the figure. Uh-huh. All the things are leveraged in my favor, but I just chose to be less. Mm-hmm. And it was a marker in my life that said, okay, that's not the greatness and the manhood that I want to like pursue. So what is the true marker of greatness? What is the true marker of a man? And I just began looking at people I admire and what is it about these men that I admire that are really successful in their business are really successful in their family and their career. And they all had a common narrative. They were known for their kindness. Like the kindest people I knew were also like the most incredible men that I knew, like had beautiful families, beautiful jobs, beautiful lives. And I just said, Hey, I want the marker of my life as a man to be a man of kindness. Mm. And it forever changed me. I don't always get it right but it's an ethic and it's a value system. And the men that I respect most in my life, uh, I see the fingerprints of kindness all over them. That's so interesting. Mm. Cause especially when you think of like the ingredients of like what would make, you know, someone you'd look up to as a man, yeah, like kindness, I don't think would be there often sure. for most people, Yeah, yeah. but it really is important. Or even I think of something like gentleness, mm-hmm. you know, like gentleness actually takes restrained strength. Yeah, yeah. If you're, if you don't have strength, you're just weak mm. and you're just being weak. Right. Yeah. But like gentleness means I have a lot of power mm. and I'm choosing to be gentle or even kindness. Yeah. Like I have a lot that I could use and force in another direction, but I'm choosing to use it for good. Mm. I think that's just not seen. I think a lot of it is this big grandiose out there, like power, strength, yeah. like success or like whatever that definition of is like, I just don't know if so many people would give words to that, Mm. you know? And I think the media is also not to paint it on there, but like even like the billboards, we live in Hollywood, you know, it's like huge guns, explosions, you know, like insane stuff. That's like, you don't see, it's like, that was a really kind man Mm -hmm. on that billboard, (laughs) you know, like that's not the same movies that are oriented towards guys. Yeah, Yeah. So I feel like it's also what's getting fed out there is this kind of, intense like 
response that's polarizing yep. in a different direction. For sure. Uh, even, you know, interesting, I just saw this clip, a friend of mine posted on Instagram, talking about Navy SEALs. And like, what is it? He's like, is there something about a certain individual that will determine whether they make it through training and they become a SEAL? And he said, I don't know necessarily there's a marker for how you can tell if they make it, but what I can tell you is I know what the guys that look like that don't make it. And he was saying the buff guys, the jocks, right? All the muscle meatheads. He's like, they don't make it. All the guys who like are power tripping and they want to tell people, everyone what to do. They don't make it. He's like, over and over and over again, you look at the seals that make it. A lot of them are skinny and scrawny. A lot of them are like, have been gone through trauma, really deep things that should have affected them. And they shouldn't even be in the position to be a Navy SEAL. But there's something about that they dig deep, they have resiliency, they find that like extra, I'm not going to quit. Mm -hmm. But he said the interesting aspect was that they never find dig deep for themselves. Mm -hmm. They dig deep so they have enough strength for their brother next to them to make it through. Mm -hmm. He said that's actually how SEALs make it through training is when they realize that it's not about them, but it's actually about the SEALs, plural. I was like, dang, that's so interesting. The mm -hmm. most elite military unit Mm -hmm. Every guy that dreams growing up, I want to be a Navy SEAL, your ability to be resilient and to elevate and to become like the best version of yourself is related to actually your ability to serve the people around you. And I was like, that should be the marker of true greatness mm -hmm. as a man. That should be a marker of true greatness as a human mm -hmm. uh, is that you do whatever it takes to make sure that we become more, not mm -hmm. just I become more. I think it's so interesting hearing you say that because I'm like Rolodexing in my head of like, oh my gosh, the best like husbands, the best fathers, the best coaches, the best mm. like male like representation I've seen have done that. Yeah. Like absolutely. Sure. Like they really are more than just like operating more than just themselves. Mm. It's outside of themselves and it's for like their family, like around them or their friends or it's outside of just this mentality of I'm going to do this for me. Yeah. 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 That's so interesting. Mm. Now a quick pause to hear from my sponsors. So a fun fact about me, in college I remember using a hack where I used to go to a maternity shop and buy maternity leggings to wear. Was I pregnant? No. Did I want to eat comfortably? Yes. And only after I started investigating my food choices and lifestyle did I realize that a continual bloat was actually not normal. Ritual literally created Symbiotic Plus with that weird gut stuff in mind. It contains clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Delayed release capsule designated to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon, an ideal place for probiotics to grow and thrive. It's an all-in-one single nested minty capsule with no refrigeration needed, so it's easy to take with you when you travel. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. There's no more shame in your gut game. That's why Ritual is offering my listeners 30% off during your first month. Visit ritual.com slash haven to start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. This episode is brought to you by Efficionade. Efficionade offers fractional virtual assistants whose sole purpose is to help people who are making a difference. Are you bogged down in your email and still managing your own calendar? Delegating those tasks to a high caliber career assistant can free you up to utilize your time towards the areas of your best and highest use allowing you to focus on the areas you truly thrive in. Learn more at efficientaid.com. That's efficient, A-I-D-E.com. Okay, back to the episode. Pivoting a little bit, going into like what, because I didn't understand a lot of this, so I'm learning what I don't understand, yeah, sure. which is interesting. Uh -huh. But you have been married for how many years now? 12 years now. 12 years. Yes. Yep. 12 years. Crazy. What has come up where Beck was like, I didn't know that. Or like, mm. I didn't realize that men dealt with that. Like, has that come up over the years at all? Yeah, for sure. You know, I could, I could talk for hours about things that I've learned mm -hmm. about her and women, but I know that's not that this podcast is for her. Right, right. Um, but one of the things that, because we and her are completely different in so many ways. We're similar and then different. All right. So one way, my wife is an external processor. Um, she could talk for hours, for days, things that are going on. She's like, I just need to spit it out. I'm an internal processor. Uh, she's a high extrovert. I'm a high introvert. And early on in our marriage, some of the issues and conflicts that we would have would be related to, I'm figuring out what's going on in my mind. I'm figuring out how to articulate. I'm figuring out how to share, hey, this hurt me. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And they said, because growing up, that is one of the things that's very common, I think, with a lot of guys. We don't know what to do with our feelings. Mm-hmm. It's not that we don't have them. We A lot of times, we have more than women, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Like, our feelings are deep, but we don't know how to always articulate it. And it always, mm-hmm. also, or not always, but oftentimes, um, the story and the narrative is if you lead with your emotions or your feelings mm-hmm. you're seen as weak mm-hmm. right you're you're not manly the know? only like approved ones were like angry yes angry yeah. or happy yep like anything else just wasn't really welcomed for sure and not knowing to, what to do with it right so it's like not even that okay how can i help beck know what to do with it mm-hmm. a lot of times i didn't even know what mm-hmm. to do with it so it, it was a lot of processing early on and her trying to figure out how do i pull out the things that I know are deep down in there, the things that I know want to come to the surface, mm-hmm. but you, she could tell I was struggling to just talk about them, you know? And so for me and our marriage, one of the um, challenges that I had to have was how to have language for her to access the parts of me that I didn't even know how to give her, if that makes sense, sure. you know? And, and it would be like trigger words or phrases, or even it would be environments. Mm-hmm. So for us, Cause I didn't know how to say, I really need to talk to you about this or I really mm-hmm. hurt by this or I feel lonely or isolated. So the environment that we created was the car. Mm. So anytime we would come back from a date or from work or, and we would be in the car together. If I didn't get out of the car, she knew, okay, he's ready to talk. Got it. And she would just listen and I'd share a couple things and then she would like sprinkle a little bit in, but she knew this was the time for me to share and the car became our safe space for me to talk about my emotions. Hmm. The car became the safe space to like fully process and go, okay, I'm inviting you into the struggles um, with work, mm-hmm. with friends, with you know my own inner world. And we would just sit in the car and talk for hours. Mm-hmm. And it brought us so much closer as a couple. It's like little by little. Come with guys, you just need like, a catalyst Mm -hmm. just again the environment a phrase something that lets him know you can trust me with those deep parts yourself that feel so scared Mm -hmm. um that feel bigger than you Mm -hmm. Uh, and then when we have that space where we can trust Mm -hmm. it comes out naturally and it just flows that makes so much sense is there anything that beck did in those moments especially that that she did say or maybe didn't say mm. that helped like facilitate and foster that. Like yeah. when you were ready to open up, mm. how, how could she help in that moment? Yeah. A huge thing was she, right. She would go opposite of her natural tendencies. She's an external processor. And normally when we would talk or communicate, it'd be 80, 20, her, mm-hmm. she talks 80, you know, I talk 20. Mm-hmm. And in those moments it would flip. She knew, okay, this is a moment where I'm just only going to talk 20% and I'm going to listen. Mm-hmm. And, and she would just give me the space uh, to never overshare because I've never been an overshare, but to be a like accurate share. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that would be, and, and we even had that phrase, go against yourself mm-hmm. in our marriage. Like those moments when you could sense the other person is reaching out to you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just have to have a different pitch, a different like frequency mm-hmm. where if you're the talker, this time be the listener. Mm-hmm. If you're the pursuer, this time be the receiver, you know, and, and just to go against your natural tendencies, it'll, and then it would create space for me to know it's like the baton, mm-hmm. you know, here you go, babe, mm-hmm. you got it. And then whenever you're ready, you can pass it back to me, but I'm just here to let you, um, fully, uh, discover who you are and to share what you're learning. I think that's really special. I yeah. like the, even the catalyst of like the car is the space yeah. or the phrase or whatever, for Aaron and I, we would just, we used to love to walk together. Mm. Like we used to live in a really beautiful neighborhood and we would just walk. And it, there's something about even like the not having the direct eye contact where it's just yeah. less pressure. It, so things true. come up yeah. so naturally. And I remember one conversation, especially where I was pregnant with our first baby. We'd gotten some pretty scary news about her health mm. and they had thrown around the world, uh, the word of like a possibility of like a stillborn. Mm. And I remember I was just like that kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. Like we had a plan in place so it wouldn't happen and all these kind of contingencies, but that word really rattled me. And so I remember Aaron and I was like, let's go on a walk. So we're going on a walk and it was about like in a mile and a half to go get him Tugger, which was the coffee shop we would go to. Yep. 100%. Mile and a half there, mile and a half back. And it's like, we're slow walkers. You know, it's <laughs> right, like, yeah. I liked to walk by like honeysuckle and lavender. Like we went <laughs> sure. the long way. Yes. Yes. <laughs> this whole walk, 
And Aaron knew this information. He is telling me about his experience the night before with his friends where they did a Jurassic Park escape room. Mm. And he's, he's talking this whole time. And in my head, I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like our unborn child is in dire straits yes. and he's going on and like, and then a dinosaur came out <laughs> sure. and it was awesome. And you know, Colin got scared or something. And yeah. I just was in my head steaming mm-hmm. because I had something I wanted to you know talk about, but I of course was like, tell me about you, you know, yeah, and his, right. and I just, and then I got mad that he was not feeling the same way. And so I remember we got coffee and I was like, Hey bro, like, I can't believe we're not talking about this. I don't know how it didn't come up. I was like, I'm feeling really scared and overwhelmed. And like, this is like something that I feel out of control. And Mm -hmm. he's like, that's so interesting. He was like, of course I want to be there for you. He's like, for me, he was like, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Mm -hmm. He was like, God forbid, I hope it doesn't get to the, like the place of stillborn. But even if our child has like a disability, like we'll love this child. This is our child. Mm -hmm. Even if our child has X, Y, Z, he's like, we're going to face it together. He's like, so for me, like I haven't gotten to that point of, you know, needing to like go into it. Like we have the information, like we know what's going to happen. And I think I even in that moment realized like, oh, just because you're not processing like me Mm. or even having the same needs or the same end game, like it doesn't need this slap of like, you're not caring about our child, you know, like you do. Sure. You're just more of like an anchor in this moment and Mm. I need to go. And I feel like sometimes, especially like if we're going gender dynamics of male and female, sometimes we can be like, oh, it's wrong Mm. that you're not processing the level that Beck is. Yeah, right. I could see how she could fall into that trap of being like, you need to do it like me because that's what I do. Sure. Or vice versa. Uh I could have seen even Aaron in our scenario being like, why would you worry? We have all these things like it's going to be okay. But so much of it too in relationship is just being like, well, I'm going to welcome where you are yeah. and I'm not going to try and change where it is, but it needs to be a safe environment to say where you are. Mm, yeah. And I, even I love that example. And as you're describing, because the beauty of like when you have a healthy relationship and is because you want to know, how do I access that gold mm-hmm. in the other person? Right. So even that instance that if you wouldn't have had the courage to like, be honest about, Hey, I'm really upset or like frustrated. Or like, do you know how serious this is? Mm-hmm. Cause you could internalize that or just be angry and bitter. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this guy, I can't believe he doesn't understand. Right. Fill in the blank. But because you have the type of relationship where you can be honest about how you're feeling or you can engage conflict in a healthy way, then you're able to access some really beautiful insights that maybe you wouldn't have been able to before of like, Oh, Oh, this is why it's not coming. That's why he can talk about dinosaurs is because (laughs) not because he doesn't care, but he's an anchor, Mm -hmm. you know, like he, he can ground me. And like, that's like with me and Beck, there's so many moments when I, when I, you know, cause I, I'm a conflict avoider. I'm a people pleaser, you know, and I'm sweeping under the rug. No big deal until it comes out. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's my wife is the opposite. Mm -hmm. But every single time when we have conflict, that's healthy and it draws us together. Mm -hmm. When I can be honest, but hey, this is how I'm feeling about this thing. Mm-hmm. The response that she brings is a perspective and an insight that is so beautiful and so powerful that changes me from the inside out mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have been able to access or wouldn't have been able to see if I wasn't willing to engage in the conflict. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and I yeah, I just think it's such a great testament to you know everybody looks up to you and um Aaron anyway in your hmm. marriage and and what you guys have but it's rare and special how you learn you have postured yourself to learn so much mm-hmm. from each other mm-hmm. uh and I think that's what's helped elevate your marriage in a really beautiful way thank you I love Aaron shout out <laughs> um we were talking about conflict it made me think of something interesting mm-hmm. where the popular show bachelor bachelorette mm. they have way less viewership when it's a bachelorette. Okay. Because I read an entire like sociological article on this. Of course you did. Of course I did. (laughs) I was like, why is that? Uh And it's because that men fight more visibly. Mm. Like they will like get up in each other's faces. Yeah. They'll actually get yet like loud. Like they may even like have physical altercations. Sure. Where when it's a bachelor, like, Women are fighting with undertones. Mm, you know what I mean? Those yeah. are in the confessionals. Right. Those are in the glances. Sure, sure. And for the viewership being primarily female, it's like, that's more interesting. Like, yeah. it's not really interesting for us to watch people, like, punch each other. <laughs> totally, yeah. But, like, that is, like, the the drawing of, like, the viewership of, like, oh, men are even behaving differently in conflict. Mm. So what's something that you've maybe, like, 
seen or observed of like males in conflict where it's like either you had to unlearn it mm. or something where you were like, well, this is what we were told like male conflict looked like. Right. And that's like the, cause for us as females, a lot of it like is in the undertones. Mm. It's in the side talks. It's in like, at least in elementary school, you see it of like, Oh, you can't sit with us or, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, Oh, wrong lunchbox today. Like yeah. just so subtle and sure. harsh in these little girls. But like, what did that look like for boys? Yeah. I'll give you some of my experience in, in the sports world and the athletic, right? So the thing about guys is really interesting because we, right, it's more physical, the conflict. It's more getting each other's face. Uh, there's not maybe as much subtlety that is perceived, but it's there. So what I would notice with my friends, right, is you sabotage each other and you get mad at each other and you punish each other through um, what you have power in, the, in that environment and we would not pass the ball to the guy interesting who um who was interested in the same girl as us mm -hmm. we we would not block for the quarterback who's getting all the shine that everybody is like loving too much because because guys are subtle because mm -hmm. we don't know how to say what we really mean and so we rather than say it we sabotage hmm. and and you still see it, right? And you think, oh, it was just elementary school yard. It was just the middle school playground. No, it happens still in professional sports today that you can see the dynamics. You know when a team has unhealthy culture and all the subtlety, mm -hmm. not in the scoreboard, right? Not in the wins and losses. So often you see it in the press conferences, how they talk about each other. You see it in the game film where, where it looks like there was just an incomplete pass but you realize, oh, the reason is because this guy didn't block for that guy. And then you find out later that there's drama and conflict. And so it's, like, it's interesting that guys are just as subtle, just as conniving. Because, like, there are, again, there are things that are different between men and women. But there's so many things that are the same. I was going to say, when you're talking, it goes back to your point of, like, so much is the same. Yeah, yeah. It's just a different, like, lens of, like, what you're looking at and how it is expressed. Absolutely. Yeah. That is so interesting. Mean, yeah, I guess sports are your version of, you know, Bachelor Bachelorette. It, <laughs> sure. it is. Like, when I speak, I give so many sports references. <laughs> and people are like, hey, I have to filter it through my, like, Bachelor Bachelorette. So sometimes <laughs> I'll bring up a Bachelor reference. I'll just have to ask a friend. Totally. How does this you know, Laker insight relate to bachelor in paradise. Oh, <laughs> that's how I feel. Even on this podcast, I'm like, all of my examples in this phase of my life is like motherhood. Yeah. I'm like, all of my examples are either about my kids or a babysitter or sure. me and Aaron talking about our kids. It's yeah. just so like right in front of your face. That's how you kind of see through the lens of everything. But speaking of parenthood yeah. of the difference, it came up in the last episode or with the one we were talking about, like what men don't understand of like the differences of even parenthood mm. where like, they say working mom and like, you don't hear someone say the phrase working dad. Yeah. It's just dad. Sure. Mm. So, but I know that there's the other side of that too, where there was a, a study that said millennial dads are spending three times more time with their children mm. than past generations. Right. Yeah. And even when my mom comes in town, she's like, there's so many dads at the park. Mm, yeah. She's like, that wasn't a thing. She's like, you see dads around. So I think dads are like, either being more visible or more involved than before, mm. but it still is different. Like what is the same, but different version of that for you? Sure. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting question. Yeah. Cause it's true. You do see more. It's what seemingly there's more dads involved mm -hmm. and hopefully that is true. I don't know the statistics on it. Um, but I, what I do know is I have a lot of friends that are dads now that didn't have a dad growing up. And, and I think it's actually a great, indication of like a healthy progression with men and responsibilities and, and as a father, because I think a lot of times, and then maybe in the past, my baby boomer, previous generation, it was cycl cyclical. Your dad wasn't in the picture and then you had kids and you weren't in the picture. Mm. And then your kids, they had kids and they're not, and it was just this cycle that kept going. It does feel like um, there has been a shift to where guys are taking on the new responsibility rather than, you know, continue the cycle. They're breaking it. They're understanding that it's really important for me to be present, not just provide, but to actually have a presence where um, I'm seeing the impact and effect on my kids in real time. Mm -hmm. And, and it's interesting now with, right, with there's probably more dads who are 
working dads, stay at home dads, like whatever language you put to it. But I hope it's because we as a, you know, gender, as a male, you know, conglomerate have understood that the world doesn't just need women to elevate. We also need men to elevate, Mm. you know, like that's the thing even with, I love that there's been shifts in, in, in positions of power where women are being entrusted with more. And, and there's still so much more that as a society, as a culture, we need to improve in that area. Mm-hmm. I love that. But I never want us to be the type of people or culture where we think we, it has to be like a tit for tat. Mm-hmm. Like now it's your turn. And so we have to take a back seat. I think it's really beautiful. We have a most powerful culture when we're elevating together, mm-hmm. when we're valuing that mom can be just as much of a boss at home uh, with her kids. And as a mom, that is so aspirational in the same way she can be in the boardroom as a CEO mm-hmm. and that both have infinite value mm-hmm. and that both are extremely necessary. Totally. Yeah. And even as you're talking, I think so much of that is just like the language that we're using mm-hmm. too of like my friends who are stay-at-home moms. It's like, oh, do you work outside the home? Because mm-hmm. the assumption is you're working inside the home. For sure. Or yeah. even the dads, it's like, when a mom goes away, the dad's not babysitting. Yeah. He's not babysitting his own kids. For sure. You know, oh, I got in trouble with that early oh. on. Dad, I had a whole daddy daycare thing. <laughs> and Beck was like, no, it's not daddy daycare. It's just called dad. Totally, <laughs> like, though. It's nothing separate. I was like, you're right. I apologize. It yeah. is true. Or even yeah. like to the flip side of whenever one of the clips that we did talking about stay-at-home parents, we like midway through said stay-at-home parents, but at first it was stay-at-home moms. And I got mm. a lot of comments where like, Hey, I appreciated that you said parent, like I'm yeah. a stay-at-home dad. Yeah. And like, I think it'd be the same equivalent of, you know, a working mom stay-at-home dad, like sure. just cause you don't see it often enough, like they're involved and they're there. Yeah. And it is like the visibility is helpful and mm. it's the elevating everything. I really like that part. Yeah. Do you want to go into some short form questions? Yeah. Okay. I love it. So, What's your take that girls, little girls can wear superhero costumes, but boys are like less welcome for princess dresses and painted nails? Sure. Yeah. So we make it spicy. I and know. Here I'm going to start off a hot one. <laughs> yeah. This is a very interesting and topical conversation, right? Especially in LA. And I, look, I think it's crazy that we would fight over so many things with gender norms that like... Girls can't wear superhero costumes or girls can't wear construction costumes or you have to like stay in your lane. Like, mm-hmm. especially when it comes with kids, like kids will be kids. Right. Or if a boy wants to wear on a dress, you know, princess thing, like w- what's the big issue? Uh, I don't think it's a big issue, but like with my kids, I've got three boys and I want to make sure that everything that I'm doing is letting them know that you have the freedom to be who you were created to be mm-hmm. as young Zai, young Indy, young River, that there's a uniqueness about you that's going to be expressed differently. And all three of my boys are so different. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's dangerous or I want to be careful with my boys is trying to force feed, right? That everybody has to like have an expression that is gender fluid, mm-hmm. right? Because um, there's a difference between welcoming and introducing, Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we introduce concepts to kids or themes before they're even understanding of what that, you know, is supposed to be about, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think we have to be careful that we're, we're not living out our own like belief systems or our own like lines in the sand through our kids, but we're taking the time to listen to our kids and responding to the feedback they're giving us mm-hmm. if that makes sense totally yeah. i like that one because mm. i mean it's come up in our house like yeah yeah because isley super creative like loves any kind of superhero also loves princesses sure yeah. echo's a little brother mm-hmm. she's wearing a princess dress he's right. like get me one too yeah yeah. and i remember talking to one of our other friends who has like an older like girl younger boy she was like oh the little brothers like they really do just follow what the sisters are doing yep. and I was like I think it'd be a little more intense if I was like no don't do that like sure. and put a connotation of like oh like that's so wrong it's okay for her but not for you or I think about like me growing up mm. I was a huge tomboy yeah. like I didn't want to wear girl clothes like I didn't find it interesting my mom and I would bargain where if I had to wear a dress it would be all denim Cause like that was in my head where I was like, that's like the less girly version of a dress, <laughs> yeah. but it's right. I like the idea of like just welcoming versus introducing where yeah. these like 
this is us. These are our children and kind of trying to see. But I do think it's interesting, though, societally that like mm. one was welcomed a long time ago. Yeah. And then the other one is only most recently being at least more of an understood kind of norm. Sure. Do you as a male feel like a burden to be a provider? Mm. Yes, mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. And I think there's, I think not even at the negative thing, like there's pros and cons to that. Do I feel the burden of it? Absolutely. Um, I feel the pressure of it. Yes. But I think there's a beauty in that. Although if you're talking about as a provider, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't necessarily, for me, again, it doesn't mean I have to be the only provider. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that like, you know, which I know some people don't believe that. Like I literally was just listening to this guy talk about how he has to be a hundred percent the like financial provider in the home. And like, that's his mission. And that I'm like, Hey, good on you, bro. Mm-hmm. But I think that is an unhealthy perspective. Cause also it's a one-sided conversation. Cause I know you're not talking to your wife about that. Mm-hmm. She just has falling into that role. But I think that's the disconnect in what a true provider looks like, mm-hmm. because I do feel the burden of being a provider, but because I want to provide the best that I can be for my family. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I want to create the environment for them to thrive. I, I want my wife to know that she matters so much that I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that not just I'm good and we're good, but that she's good. Right. Um, so I think there's really beauty in a healthy posture of, I want to maximize everything that I can. Mm-hmm. But then I also, again, as a provider, I want to do everything I can to make sure that my wife has a space to be all that she was created to be, to pursue the things that she loves to do and to be a provider financially, emotionally, spiritually, all those things. Because as a provider, I don't think it's supposed to just be a financial conversation, mm-hmm. right? I think it's supposed to be, am I providing a healthy emotional environment for my kids, right? Am I, am I showing what it looks like to like risk greatly, to fail greatly, but to still be a person of character in the midst of it all, mm-hmm. right? And I think on the conversation of a provider, we're only really focusing on one side of the prism. Like, are you financially, you know, being there for your family? I hope you are. But if you're financially there for your family, but you're not emotionally there, then what's really the long-term gain for that? Mm. You know, if you're providing for your wife in a pocketbook and in your bank account, but you actually haven't spent the time to take her on a date or ask her how she's doing, what's the point of you being a provider, you know? And so I, yes, feel the pressure, the burden societally of, you know, the man is supposed to, the man of the house and the provider. But I try to take it on with the positive attributes of just, am I doing everything I can to squeeze out every ounce of um, talent, gifting, sacrifice, um, ambition, right? And then I'm providing the best space for my kids to know this is what it looks like to be your best self. I did not expect that answer. Mm. I really, that was really, really beautiful. Mm. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. I enjoyed that take on it. Mm. Good representation of the male species. Yeah, <laughs> we got one. At least. We got one. <laughs> okay. Um, what is bro code? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love that. Oh, we're going to introduce bro code to the ladies. Maybe I'm breaking bro code (laughs) by talking about bro code. It is a ridiculously dysfunctional um, ethic that you break bro code. Basically, if you um, snitch on your boys that are doing terrible, terribly destructive things, that we value more the loyalty of not calling you to more or not like keeping you accountable for your decisions more than actually helping each other make healthy decisions. And guys will get ridiculed. And this isn't about whatever snitching or telling on people or being a tough, but I'm more of like, when you talk about bro code and, and you know, what happens at Vegas stays at Vegas. Like I didn't grow up with that. So I didn't, everybody listening. I never went to Vegas. I didn't party, go crazy. <laughs> but when the idea of what happens at Vegas stays in Vegas is you can be your most destructive self and I won't, um, keep you accountable. Mm -hmm. And that part of bro code is really destructive. I think bro code should be, no, my job as your bro is to make sure that in my presence, I'm never going to let you settle for less. Like I, in my, you know, proximity and our relationship, 
I'm not going to let you cheat on your wife and act like that's okay. I'm not going to let you like talk about your kids in a negative light and not me call you out. That bro, the danger about bro code and that, you know, snitching um, mindset uh, is that we're okay with being the le the least version of ourselves and acting like that's what true brotherhood looks like. And that's just, for me, that's not true brotherhood. That's, uh, that's cowardice. True brotherhood is, I'm gonna have a hard conversation with you and I'm not gonna let you settle for this version of you because uh, I know there's more in you. And as your bro, um, I'm gonna have you hate me for this season, you know? And even the snitching thing, right? I, when people go through stuff and they come and talk to me, I've got friends that are honest about stuff. I always go, hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell before you do. I'm gonna give you space if you don't have the courage to share. Because not only do I love you, but I love your sister. I love my sister. Mm -hmm. I love your wife. I love your whatever the relational thing is. And, and if you don't have the courage to say something, I will. Because I'm not just responsible for my relationship with you. I'm also responsible with my relationship with them. The real bro code. The real bro code. <laughs> the better yeah. bro code <laughs> yeah. than the initial one. Yeah. Totally. Well, that's kind of overall what I was thinking. I was like, what is it like, you know, growing up locker room? Mm -hmm. What is it like kind of as an adult, as parenthood? I feel like we kind of touched on those areas. Do you feel like there's any area that like maybe we didn't cover or that there's something that you'd like to like invite women into understanding better? Mm, yeah. I mean, we kind of talked about this before, but I would just say um, I feel the pressure of like speaking to women on behalf of men right now. But um, our silence is not a sign of disinterest. Uh, we just have a really hard time as a whole um, sharing what's deep down. Uh, and so don't, if we're silent, if we're quiet, if we're, it feels like we're distant, we're not, we're just less courageous than you. And and so just finding those ways to pull out those feelings, those emotions, right? Because they're there. And we that's the thing is we want to share them. We desperately want to like articulate. We It just is a, in a lot of ways, it feels like writing with our opposite hand. Um, and, and so if there's a guy in your life, uh, relationally, like intimately, or even family, just learning ways to um, help create space for him to know that he can be vulnerable, he can be um, fragile, he can not have it all together. Because that's one of uh, the lies about, you know, being a man as you grow up, as you feel like you just have to act like you have it all together. Yeah, you have to act like there's no crevices, there's no cracks, like faults and mistakes are, because we also have a narrative in our head and a voice in our head that is like, oh, this is, they're going to figure out who you truly are. They're going to truly see how weak you are. And it's just that much. That's where the machismo spirit comes from is because we're all just pretending. We're all just trying to act like we're perfect. And, and so ladies, you know, I would say just finding ways um, to remind the people in your life, the men in your life, that you, you don't have to be anything other than your most authentic self. And when we feel that, when we have that trust, when... When we have that space, there's nothing more bonding. Just my own personal experience, there's nothing that bonds me more to my wife, towards my mom, towards the women that are close to me um, when I feel like I can share my weaknesses with them. Mm -hmm. Like it's a weird thing that I feel stronger when I can finally articulate how weak I truly feel. And, um, and just giving us space to figure out the words and the language to um, just be honest about where we're at. Cause we, we know that the keeping it in here kills us from the inside out. And so we desperately want to find a way to share it with the world around us. Uh, so just be kind, be welcoming, create space, find your um, car in the driveway or your walk to in Larchmont, um, find your space to let them know. You don't got to pretend here. You can just be you. That's so, that was really special. Mm. Like, thank you for sharing everything you've shared here. Um, thank you for having me. That, I really mean it. Like, mm. I feel like I learned a lot about like just kind of 
the similarities. Mm. Like, I think that's my biggest shock is that yeah. so much is sim- like the similar side of things, but just from a different like expression of it. Sure. And I feel like I kind of can resonate more with like the other men in my life, but I feel like I also just got to know one really good man better. Mm. And I really yeah. enjoyed hearing more about you. Like, you yeah. and I don't hang out one-on-one. Yeah. <laughs> we don't talk o- like... Outside of survivor parties. <laughs> yeah. No, and those kind of get a little intense. <laughs> For sure. Though I, I do... I do have to say, I don't know if this will make it, but <laughs> one of my favorite moments of the last few years was a survivor party that mm-hmm. me and my wife, Aaron and Haven, and some other friends did. And we just... It was in the middle of quarantine, and so it was mm-hmm. like nobody was hanging out and seeing each other. Then we're all what bonded all of our, like relationships together was we became survivorites yep. you know and would text about mm-hmm. all the, and i just man that was one of the best nights in years mm-hmm. um and so i just think that too that you got to have people um in your life that you just mm-hmm. laugh with and you find those commonalities and um it's been a pleasure just that was here. one of the best nights it would have been the best night if i wasn't robbed by brooke odom <laughs> who did not deserve to win they're still fighting years later i'm gonna plead my case <laughs> i played the game you know outwit outlast outplay i did and then brooke she just had everyone there who was like upset with me voting on tribal council. <laughs> and I just think they should have voted with strategy in mind and not their feelings by how I hurt them. Still, still root seeds of anger. It hurts. It hurts. But it was so good. You and those <laughs> denim shorts, or was the it den- cargo pants? It, it was, was cargo shorts. Cargo shorts, a combo. And it was Jaquef Probst Jaquef. was the name of my host of Survivor. It was so good. Things were hidden in their house. Like we had like the absolute clues we had to vote it was just truly that was a fun time i feel like we need to reenact we it do. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you thank you for coming this uh, was like thank you for, yeah. just enlightening mm. i found it really really interesting um overall but i hope you did as well thank you for tuning in and listening maybe i'll do my first ever guest uh email newsletter by jaguar probes <laughs> Not by Joe, by a survivor alter ego. But that's a plug to sign up for my monthly email uh, newsletter. You can go to havenpod.com. Also follow, like, subscribe on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. And then please rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. That helps get this some visibility and it helps if I topped some of the charts. I don't know which charts, but it was like some random country. And I was like, that is awesome. So it helps me with that whenever you rate and review. But other than that, thanks for listening. Thanks for engaging. I hope this helped either you understand some of the men in your life better, or maybe if you're a male listener, maybe it helped you understand yourself and even have some more language of how to share that with like the loved ones around you. So thank you for joining and I'll see you next time.